You're listening to Have the Conversation Podcast, a podcast centered around mental health, wellness, and everything in between. I'm Kala. And I'm Leanne. We're sitting down with everyday people to talk about life and the lessons they've learned, all in an effort to connect and stay encouraged. Money, 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 money. Oh my God, what did we just do? <laughs> we, we tried something new. Do you think it'll pay off? Well, I don't know if that will, but our conversation with Liz Hand, Chief Financial Planner at Pleasant Wealth, definitely did. Liz came to talk to us about investments, planning for retirement, and took time to answer all of our financial questions and concerns. I love that you talked about your Bitcoin investment. And I love that you shared about what we know now is money trauma. Yeah, we did cover a lot in this episode. And I can't wait for everyone else to hear it. But first, a disclaimer from our friends at Pleasant Wealth. The opinions expressed on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individuals. To determine which investments or solutions may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC, Kestra IS, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC, Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Pleasant Wealth, LLC is not an affiliate of Kestra IS or Kestra AS. Neither Kestra IS nor Kestra AS provides legal or tax advice. So we know that you tackle a really kind of taboo topic for women almost um, with finance and it's one I avoid. I'll be completely honest. I know Leanne and I both are just kind of like, a little nervous, but we're here in headlights. Yeah. <laughs> we're so excited. But I wanted to know, first of all, why did you choose finance for like a career path? Like what made you say, this is what I want to do with my time? Yeah, I kind of fell into it because my dad is in the industry. Um, he's a pretty non-traditional financial advisor, uh, very artistic in nature. Um, so I saw the way that he was able to do the work and connect with people and it really resonated with me. So follow his footsteps. Oh, that's awesome. What do you mean by artistic, like-minded advisor? Like, how do you mean by that? Uh, there is a very distinct way. Let me think. Um, okay, so he, he avoids spreadsheets just like most people would. I mean, he can dig into them and knows, you know, what they mean or whatever, but that's not his natural approach to working with people. And I think... Uh, the stereotypical financial advisor is one that is very spreadsheet de- data oriented um, and they lose the, the personal component mm-hmm. and sometimes it can make the conversation even more uncomfortable. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that's why we avoid it, right? It's like, it seems like it's just going to be like a suit and you have to have all your ducks in a row and you have to know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. So who's like your typical client? My typical client is a woman about 10 years five to 10 years from retirement. Um, And she likely will have had some experience where she's lost her spouse, either through death or divorce, or is just entering retirement alone Mm -hmm. um, because she chose to be single. And so it's someone who is going through a big life change, needs to start making some big decisions, but doesn't really have a sounding board that they're comfortable with. So, Mm, yeah. So, Growing up with your dad as a financial advisor, I imagine you, did you guys have a lot of talk about finances? Because my dad always taught us, like, you don't talk about money, like it's personal, you don't bring it up, you just, it's just not talked about. Um, How did you grow up with finance talk? Um, In our home, so my dad started into the career when he was in his mid 40s. So he was a career changer into it. Uh, And prior to that, he had been spending a lot of time getting uh, a few different degrees. So money was pretty tight in my family. Um, My parents have four children and trying to make things work on basically my mom's income for a period of time. So we had a very similar, you don't really talk much about money. I knew that money was tight. Um, But then once he entered into the career of financial planning and investment management, he would talk to me about investing some money. And actually my first experience of investing with him where my account you know dropped in value I came back to him and I was like I thought you told me this money was going to grow <laughs> I'm going to school but you can I quick, sue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and he told me you know like stick it out and of course I did and it panned out okay but yeah that's 
that was it in my home. That's so funny. The first thing I ever invested in was Bitcoin, but like, but back like before when it was like, just kind of like millennials were starting to talk about it. And my boyfriend at the time was starting to talk about it. And I was like, I wanted to get in on this. This sounds so exciting. And literally I bought it. And the next day it just plummeted. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I'm not good at this. So I just kept it in there. And thankfully now it's like, it's, it's growing now. It's, it's much, it's like tripled in value, but, but I, I mean, that was four years ago. And so I think, um, cause one of my clients is a financial advisor as well. And he's kind of been helping coach me a little bit. Um, he always says that like time in the market is always better than timing. And I think that <laughs> he said it was such good a good saying, <laughs> right? A great phrase. Yeah. And, and so, um, so that definitely taught me that because like for, I mean, for a solid year, I just like would look at that Bitcoin and be like, Ugh. <laughs> just like annoying. <laughs> and then I was honestly afraid to start investing after that. Sure. But just that whole fear of like, oh, it's like gambling. Like I could lose this. Mm-hmm. Um, it really made me very apprehensive to start investing. Yeah. I think to, to be clear about what I do with that, um, I kind of separate out two things. There is a very flashy conversation right now of the active investing, finding the things like cryptocurrencies or the GameStop conversation. And that's, that's like one element. And honestly, I avoid that. So because of that same fear, I mean, that, that type of investing is one that there is a lot more risk. Um, The type of investing that I do is very unsexy. And it's really meant to be something that you plod along and are able to um, predictably get to a goal. So, so a lot of the women that you see, have they ever invested before? Yeah. So what I often see, especially in my, I'm in, I'm in Ohio, uh, and I come from a Mennonite Amish background. So a lot of the times the women that I work with, they will have had investments, but they might not have been in the conversation and they might have accumulated a good amount, um, but don't really have a good grasp of how they got there or what it means for them. So they may like, it's a very traditional type of engagement around here where um, husband did the financial side of things. Maybe the wife did the checkbook, but because of some sort of life circumstance where husband is no longer in the picture, wife is like stepping into the driver's seat for the first time. And it's super overwhelming. Just as you guys are talking about. That would be me. Cause I'm, I have been, I, that's, we run our marriage very traditional in that sense. It's kind of like my husband does the investing. I make sure the bills are paid. I do all that stuff. And mine started from a very young age. It's not because he doesn't want me involved. I was always too intimidated. And then I always thought of myself as a bad math person. So I put that mm into the lump with, with finances where I was just like, oh, this just isn't my area. And now as I'm an an adult and I have a daughter and I'm like, no girl, you can't act like that. (laughs) You you have to be involved, you know, like this is not okay, but I still haven't done it. So what do you say to an initial client? Like, how do you let them know that? Yes, this is overwhelming, but do you take it by baby steps? Like what is your process with that? Cause I'm asking for myself. (laughs) Yeah. So and a friend. <laughs> and a friend. <laughs> um, the process that I take, so I view my role as, as pretty sacred because I'm yeah. entering into somebody's life. Yes. From this very nuts and bolts type of practicality of the investments that they have, but I have seen how the financial conversation quickly dovetails into family dynamics, career aspirations, uh, places where they felt let down in life pressures that they felt from their parents or their siblings or whatever it is, societal pressures. Um, And that place is a very vulnerable place. So the way I enter a conversation is more from a, just a human perspective of getting to know somebody trying to unearth what it is that, that really drives them as a person. So Mm -hmm. I always use the Mary Oliver quote of what do you want to do with this one wild and precious life? Um, In those early sessions with, with folks, I am trying to figure that out. Like, what is it that's driving them? Because ultimately, if I help someone and they have a certain amount of money and I help them grow it, great. Yeah. Gets one thing accomplished, but money for money's sake means not much if you have no aspirations. Um, And I think, especially for women in that stage where 
for whatever reason, they're going through a huge life change. And so let's just say it's a single woman by choice stepping towards retirement. So by by the three scenarios, probably the least complicated of, of the three because yeah. she hasn't dealt with some sort of loss. Um, or at least not the same type of loss. Maybe. Right. <laughs> and um, she still has to shed her career and step into a time period of new amounts of time that she has to figure out what to do with, how to reallocate. And that's pretty scary for a lot of people because they've built such a, um, like a lot of their comfort zone, a lot of their schedule around their career for so long that once you take that away, uh, this retirement picture that a lot of people paint that's, you know, sitting on the beach drinking Mai Tais is not one that is comforting for someone who is has spent a career building a life for themselves and then has to suddenly peel themselves away from it and define who they are as a person. Yeah. So I've been their identity, right? For for the exactly. longest time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the way I approach it. And then as I'm hearing things, I'll be listening. I do a lot of deep listening um, just to kind of pull out what what those key pieces are. If I hear a snag in a relationship with um, a child, for example, uh, I tag it in my mind as something that we need to talk through later. Mm -hmm. And then there's natural financial things that come from that. And we we go from there with a financial plan. That blends a lot into counseling, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. You're like a financial counselor. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's it's one of the it's one of the more growing areas of the industry right now are people who are blending more of um, the counseling aspect. There is a designation that is a financial counselor. I am not that, but yeah, okay. there there are people that are taking it that direction because people have a lot of baggage with money. Yeah. Oh yeah. Are there a lot like are there specific questions that you go to to kind of dig down into what what they do want to do with their mm-hmm. life and with their money? Oh, yeah. I'm like, should so, we role play? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's happening here? Bill us after this. <laughs> sure. Um, yes, I go through three very specific questions, and I did not come up with them myself. There is one of the financial um, planning gurus. His name is George Kinder, and he blends, he has a Buddhist background, so he kind of blends some of that theory with the financial planning components and ask some pretty thoughtful questions. So the first one is, um, imagine that you have all of the money in the world, all of your financial needs are met, you have all the freedom, what would it, what would it be that you do? And you answer that question as detailed or not as you want. And then the second question is, okay, imagine that you have visited the doctor and they tell you that you have between, you know, zero to 10 years left to live. You don't know when the day of death is going to be, but good news, you're not going to feel any pain in the process. So now what would you do with your time, your money? And then the third question um, is you've received very bad news from the doctor and you find out that you only have one more day to live. What is it that you wish, what, what reactions are stirring up for you? What is it that you wish you would have done with your time or money? Ah, so. those are heavy. Yes. Wow. I go deep. (laughs) I'm like thinking of my answers right now. I'm sorry. I'm caught off guard. I wasn't expecting it to be that that intense. Time out. I'm gonna go cry. (laughs) But seriously, when I did that, and I was, he has a book that like guides you through his process, and I was doing that myself, and I came away from those questions like for several days, just feeling very down, very sad. Like, what is it that I would actually do with my time? What is it that I've wasted just with this? small amount of time that I'm, I'm 33 that I've been on this earth. Oh, um, and yeah, I, I think it's meant to provoke you to think mm-hmm. just a different way about your money. Did, uh, did those questions cause you to, to look at anything differently or do anything differently? Yeah. So I am, I am in the process, uh, not to go deep too deep into my history, but, um, <laughs> I, as a young kid, this, this can go a couple different directions, actually. When I was six years old, I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and so talking about having those feelings of not knowing math very well, my foundational years of math were kind of wiped out by this illness. And so I've had that same imposter syndrome type feeling of like not knowing math, but I'm very much You're into it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so I totally resonated with what you said then. Um, but through that time, uh, 
I just, I've been working with a coach and we've been kind of unearthing what that time created for me. And part of it was that I um, was never really fully able to dream for myself. And so it's something new that I'm trying to do for myself is figure out what is it that I want to do with my time. So um, the things that, the, the themes that popped up for me were a lot of uh, creative type endeavors and a lot of connecting with people. So. Well, you're living it right now. I have to say your videos make me smile. They make me laugh. I love (laughs) all the little added like nuances that you added and I, I, they're brilliant. I love it. I love watching your, um, your LinkedIn videos and and things like that. And I'm a new member to your Facebook women's group. So I'm super excited about that as well. I really am. You do a very good job. Yeah. I feel like creating those videos is a unique intersection that I have of my different skill sets. I've never um, seen even, anything like that for finance for yeah. women our age. Haven't yeah, seen yeah. it. I'm glad you enjoy it. <laughs> so you talked about the, uh, the Midwestern money mindset. What is yeah. that? So, okay. I have been reading a lot about different ways that we talk to ourselves about money. So you might, you can step in and if any of these are resonating, but there's like an element that we have ingrained within us that work is hard and hard work earns money. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh, time is money. Um, a penny saved is a penny earned. Like there's all of these different sayings that we have, especially in the Midwest that are tied to farming. So my grandpa would have been an Iowa farmer hard worker, worked dawn to dusk, um, great saver. Um, some of his maybe, you know, and that's all well good, well and good from the balance sheet perspective. But mm-hmm. um, looking back, you know, he might have had more time for family. Um, he might have, like, if he had been able to work less or maybe spend money more, they might have had some different family interactions with that. But farming requires you, you know, round the clock, day in, day out to stay on top of things. Mm -hmm. So um, the Midwestern money mindset is just something I've been thinking about where because we have such a history of farming in our background, that some of those same principles that were expected of farmers in the past that they needed for survival are no longer true, but we cling to them today. So um, for example, in my business is I've been working through an idea of like, I have to be sitting in my seat from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Otherwise, I am not working hard, mm-hmm. which is totally bogus. Mm-hmm. And thank God. Um, <laughs> yes, thankfully. Cheers so, to that. <laughs> <laughs> and the more I question it, the more I recognize just it's just a social construct that happened because it was absolutely necessary in the farming community. It is no longer necessary. And so I think there's just a lot of scripts that we have um, with the way that we approach money that, um, yeah, can, are no longer relevant to us today. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to go in and try to debunk that with, with clients, especially probably your older clients stepping into that? Yeah, actually, specifically men going into retirement have a really hard time peeling away from their career because they've always been told that their worth is the paycheck that they bring home from the hard work that they do. Um, and so when someone is going through that transition, they're in a, like a two year window of retiring. We start talking about some of the psychological components of retirement and what it means for them to slowly step back from their career. Um, Can we talk about those real quick? What are some of those psychological components? I'm so interested because my dad's going through this literally right now. There you go. He's in his, he's with his financial planner as we speak, starting or coming towards the end of this process. So I'm, I'm so intrigued and I want to know from a daughter's standpoint and just a curious, curious standpoint. Yeah. So, um, society has always told men that their worth is wrapped up in their job. Mm -hmm. So the full stop retirement, I'm working 40, 50, 60 hours. You know, those baby boomers, they tend to work more hours in a week, even than the typical eight to five. 
So um, for them to, to switch from that schedule to a nothings on the calendar is actually quite detrimental. And there was a study back in the 50s or 60s, you know, back when there was a lot of the industrial type jobs where people were working at a factory for a long time and then they, they get to a certain age, they've been at the company for 35 years, the company says, thank you for your service, they give them a gold watch and the person retires. Um, this, uh, and I, I don't even remember the guy's name, but there's a psychologist researcher that was following the lifestyle of these men and there was a trend that within one year they were passing away. One year. And one year. And so he called it the gold watch syndrome. So you've worked at a career for 35 years, you get your gold watch, thank you for your work, you retire. Um, but because so much of their worth was wrapped up in their job, the full stop retirement actually um, was detrimental to their health and kind of caught up with them. So from the psychological perspective, I like to encourage people to practice a stepped down retirement where they um, in the years leading up to their full stop retirement, they start taking off one day a week or two days a week and build something else into their lifestyle, whether that's like the old man's coffee club, which is really, really important for male friendship. Male, men don't naturally um, do the same types of group gatherings that women do. So that coffee club is really important or um, like a bicycling club or something where they have a group of people that they see on a weekly basis or at least every other week or something. It just starts building in a rhythm that is needed once you fully retire. Those pillars in the week that remind you um, that, you know, you have something to look forward to. Yeah, there's value. You still have life to live, all those things. It's kind of like, um, without without knowing your your um, personal history, sure. do either of you have, well, you you mentioned you have a daughter, Kala. Yeah, I have three um, kids. Mm -hmm. Three kids. Yeah. And Leanne, are do you have? Children? I don't have any kids yet. Nope. Okay. Um. So you might you might feel this just from the quarantine perspective this past year, but I fully felt this when I went on maternity leave. I just had my children. I thought I viewed my time as a revolving door. So typically, I think our lives, when we're in our normal rhythms, the door feels like it opens and shuts. Mm -hmm. So a new day, door opens it closes, it shuts. When we get into these little time warps, like after you have a child and you're at home, just like trying to keep them fed or in the quarantine where all of a sudden people were just at their home with nothing to do. It felt like time was a revolving door and I couldn't quite ever pin like, is today Wednesday or Thursday? Did I brush my teeth this morning or not? <laughs> you know, like whatever it is. And I think yeah. that that same thing can happen to retirees if they don't put those pillars in their week to really shape out what their oh, yeah, retirement looks that. like. Oh my gosh, I feel like I need to call my dad. <laughs> dad I, I, about that man. <laughs> I, I knew I was supposed to talk to you today, Liz. I, I knew it. <laughs> it's so crazy though that society has morphed into that though. Like we have these stages of life. You finish high school and you go to college and then you close the college door and you start your career that you're supposed to know exactly what you want to do. And this is your new life. And then, you know, you, you close that door and open the door to being a mom or, you know, and then you, whatever, like to have those transitions, like it makes perfect sense because that's not, our brains aren't wired to just, to just blink and transition to the next thing. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm in personal training in the people who just come in and they want to go gung-ho, like get in shape as fast as possible, change their whole diet, work out six days a week. They never stick to it because that's not how our brains work. Like you have to slowly incorporate new behaviors to transition slowly to what you're going to be. It's not like shedding a skin, you know, it's like you're, you're, I don't know. It's, it's evolution. You're process. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. It's just crazy yeah. that we're expected to just get the gold watch and, and start your retirement life that you've been dreaming about for the last 20 years. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. And that's to say that people made great choices up until their retirement with their money. Yeah. You, you know, that's not a reality assumption. at all, <laughs> you know? but I think, I think we do. Kind of, I grew up in the Midwest, so I grew up in Michigan. So we're kind of like neighbors. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and it was, it's very, we didn't talk about money, Leanne. I know you talked about how your family didn't talk about that. I mean, you were, there was expectations of you needed to make money to have a certain lifestyle and things like that, but yeah. never knew how much my parents made growing up or, or anything like that. And, and I quite frankly, don't think that I needed to as a kid, but right. When I stepped into adulthood and got married and started having like a family for myself, I had no clue. I thought I was just supposed to have all this stuff and it was just supposed to happen. And that was a rude awakening (laughs) to to put it mildly. So do you deal with any clients that are kind of just starting to, to come into that at all of saying, I need to know how to plan my life from in my thirties? you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I developed a four week program. It's very fast paced. And it's not necessarily the traditional route of financial planning, because I recognize that a lot of people are overwhelmed with the process. Um, And so it's a it's a way to, in a quick way, go through um, what your cash flow looks like, how money is coming into your personal expense or your personal um, checking and savings account, and then how you're saving, whether that's automatically through to a 401k or, you know, just into an individual investment. It just kind of helps me understand how money is flowing. And then I help them reroute it to make it in a way that builds things faster, that actually is funding the things that they want to do Mm -hmm. long-term. So what are some of the things that people are wanting to do in their retirement? I'm just so curious. Like, have you had anybody like come up with like a wild thing that just, that has stuck with you? (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I I think part of the Midwestern money mindset is that people don't feel like they're allowed to spend. Mm. You accumulate, you always are saving for the rainy day, but you don't know when the rainy day is going to come and therefore you never want to spend it. So I actually have a hard time getting my clients to spend their money. Um, And so I try to spend time in our session saying like, you know, what is it that you are thinking about with your children? Um, is it that you want to fund getting the lake house for a couple of weeks in the summer and all of your kids and grandkids come? Well, let's let's put that into your plan. A lot of times I'm just trying to pull that information out because mm-hmm. I recognize that people's people's dreams are lacking. It's <laughs> um, oh, interesting. It's so, so sad to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in Dallas, it's almost the opposite. We have like the whole $20,000 millionaire approach. Yeah, that's like a big thing. Like that's like a known thing <laughs> that we all talk yeah, about. Yeah, like put everything on a card. We'll figure it out later. It's horrible. <laughs> it is. And um, Calla was mentioning your um, post on LinkedIn about the uh, the treat yourself. Yeah. Oh, yes. That. That was so <laughs> great. Can you talk a bit about how you would handle someone like that? Yeah, so the treat yourself mantra is one that I think marketers get away with using often just to really push their products. And um, one thing that's lacking, my example in that article is that I used getting coffee while I was kind of in the thick of some really hard years with child rearing. Mm -hmm. Um, I would use coffee as my motivator. So I called it my good job mom coffee. <laughs> good job mom coffee. <laughs> there. Got the kids to school today. I'm going to stop before I go. Yep. To or- yep. And I think there are periods of time that that is good self-care, sure. but the, the whole purpose of subscription-based models, online shopping, Starbucks being everywhere and having a drive-through is that you build it into your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so there is a period of time where it is self-care and then it turns into something that you do with an automatic automaticity, if that's the word, how to say it. Um, but it's actually not serving your soul. Instead, you're actually taking away from your soul because all of a sudden you have this bad feeling and I want to go to my good job mom coffee to make that feel better. But what's really happening is that I'm doubting my motherhood abilities. Ooh. And if, if I'm not present to that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, as, if, as she sips her coffee. I'm, I've got lemon water. I'm, I'm, I'm on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's not to say that going to Starbucks is bad. Like, I'm not saying don't go. I just, I think there is so much of our culture that is 
missing the mark with the way that you spend money. Like fund the things that really matter to you. Yeah. And if you're not present to that moment where you get that five, ten dollar leak every couple of days because you're going through Starbucks and it doesn't even mean anything to you. Well, how can you get present to what the true feeling is that you're trying to mask and then use the money in a way that actually feels good? Yeah, yeah. the root cause. When I was, uh, I, I used to work at LA Fitness and I did um, training sales there. I, I was trying to sell personal training and we kind of did a method like that where um, you have this person sitting in front of you saying they wanted to get in shape and they just didn't know how they needed help. And we went through kind of their finances like, um, well, do you, like how often do you go out to eat? Um, you know, like, do you go to Starbucks? Like what, like kind of these things that are going against their goal of, of trying to get in shape, but that's where all their money is going. And so if you paint, we would like kind of paint that picture for them and then show them, well, if you put this money into a trainer or into a gym membership or something that would go towards your goals, like you would, it, it's killing two birds with one stone, right? You're getting rid of these bad habits. And at the same time, you're, you're making traction, like you <laughs> would say towards, you know, what your, what your priorities are. Um, I, I think it's really effective. Yeah. Yeah. You're basically a financial planner there. You're right. <laughs> I'll just add that to the resume. Then. Oh my gosh. That's all you needed. <laughs> I, um, but working with my, um, my client, uh, who's the financial planner as well. I was always very afraid because with, with personal training, my, I have, you know, 40 sessions one month and then maybe the next I have 20 and then COVID hits and I have two, you know, like it's, it's so sporadic, even mm -hmm. without a pandemic. Um, so one, it was, it was time consuming to come up with like, okay, I made this X amount this month and I project to make this next month. And, and not only that, but it was just, I, I didn't want to look at it. I was almost afraid to look at it. And I always knew, okay, like I, I can pay off my credit card each month. I can pay my rent. I'm, I'm doing fine, but I never knew what those numbers were. And so he sat me down and, and had me look at it. And I really, like, I, I had so much anxiety beforehand leading up to that, but afterwards looking at it on paper, like I, I felt such a sense of freedom because mm -hmm. I, it's like, I looked at the boogeyman and, mm -hmm. and he wasn't you know what I mean? I finally like looked under the bed. Um, and I, I feel so much relief now from doing that. I think yeah. it, it, it was a game changer for me. Yeah. Yeah. That is what is one of the most impactful things I think is the, um, so many people have anxiety with money and it's easier to just either stick your head in the sand or keep the boogeyman in the closet with your yes. <laughs> metaphor there. Um, but often when people open that door and actually look at it, it's not as bad as they think. And mm -hmm. it, everything is workable. And that's also maybe a mentality that I come to the financial planning industry with um, that might be a little bit different from others is that um, I think pretty much we could, we could plan to do just about anything. You can't do everything all at once, but you can plan to do certain things that are the most impactful for you. Um, and those change over time. Like my aspirations three years ago were way different than they are today. There's some growth that's, you know, A plus B equals C, but most of the times, you know, our life changes pretty quickly. And so the way that I approach financial planning is one that, that showcases what is possible with your life, the trajectory that you want, recognizing that the moment we are done, the moment we are done having our planning session, you'll make other decisions. You'll make, you know, like you might overspend in one category or um, buy something new and, and that's okay. Like that's the human experience. And so, but if I can unearth what it is that is possible and get you, get you the momentum you need towards something that you really want in life um, and then do that repeatedly over time, you slowly get on course. It's like a ship. It doesn't go straight point A to point B the sailboat, you know, yeah. does a little bit of zigzag navigation. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think too, just the awareness of, of knowing where you're at financially, then you can make real goals, like you said, and, and create like a realistic future 
um, in the short term and the long term. Because um, because without being aware, I wasn't able to make those goals, and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really willing to, to be honest. Right. You know? And I don't know what that fear came from. I think it was just it it was that like my my dad worked a very traditional nine to five job. And I know that he wanted that for me as well, because that's how he got successful to where he's at today. And so he paved that path and and to him that that was the path. So for me kind of going off course and doing a less traditional job, I knew he was afraid for me. You know, I, th- I think my parents were afraid, like, oh God, are we going to be supporting this girl? For the rest of <laughs> She's never moving out. <laughs> Hey, I'm back. <laughs> What's for dinner? <laughs> no, but, um, but I think I just had that fear too, that kind of like, um, uh, kind of like an insignificance to, to what I was doing financially. Like I, I would never be able to, to save enough or make enough. Um, mm-hmm. like if I, if I would have chosen a different path, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's, it's funny what we can convince ourselves. Cause it, it was, it was all in my head. Yeah. I didn't realize that till everything was on paper. Right. Yeah. What do you, do you have advice or any words of wisdom? Cause I know a lot of the people that listen to our show and in, in, in our audience um, are stay at home moms who don't have a career. Mm-hmm. And then when they're hit with either divorce loss, both are lost, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like a, a significant moment and they're stuck just wondering. Cause I think, even without loss, that's something that's in the back of their mind all the time. They feel less than because they're not contributing Mm -hmm. financially. Can you kind of talk a little bit about your experience with those situations? Um, So what I'm hearing you ask is two things. And I caught the first one and I think I missed the second one. So the first one is if they get into a situation where they're like forced to decide with their money all of a sudden. Yeah. And then do you want me to go there first? And then yeah, let's just, let's just talk about that. I think they'll all kind of run in together. And the other one was just, you know, women who, who aren't contributing financially to the home. Like, mm-hmm. how do you help them, like, navigate that knowing, yeah. you know, I'll let you go. <laughs> okay, so the, the one piece of information is just because you're not uh, bringing home a paycheck doesn't mean that you are not adding to the value of the family. Because oftentimes women who are staying home are caretaking and filling in the gaps. And there's so many gaps that are created that without that person there, it would require a lot more income from the person who is, is the breadwinner. So um, just because you can't see the money trail doesn't mean that it's not valuable. Um, but I think one of the key things I would love for women specifically to get comfortable with is sitting in on the financial meeting with their spouse. Uh, for that stay-at-home mom, even if she's not bringing in a paycheck, to sit in on the meeting and talk about the things that she wants to do, that she wants for the family. Because the investment conversation lends itself really well to the future goals. And a lot of times advisors start with where are we heading in order to figure out, to back into what types of investments you should use. So if you have one partner that's not at the table, that's only really half a conversation and your family might be heading a direction that you don't want. Um, And there's nothing more empowered than a woman who has control with money. And so she can sit there at the table with their spouse and the financial planner and ask the questions, you know, even if she's not understanding exactly what they're talking about, men have, okay. And this is me just assuming that this is a traditional relationship of a man and a woman, but uh, so let's say it's a guy financial planner and a male spouse, they oftentimes go pretty, pretty technical pretty quickly. And I think it's kind of the tendency of a a guy to just, I want to know, I want the financial planner to know that I'm competent, that I'm tracking with him in this little square of my life. And though a woman won't go as deep necessarily in the technical, she is, did you ever, did you ever hear the book, uh, waffles, men are, men are waffles, women are spaghetti. No, <laughs> I've never read it, to be honest, just the concept <laughs> sticks to me. So men, men tend to compartmentalize their life. Um, women tend to have everything connected. So the, the conversation that a woman is expecting out of the meeting is different from her spouse. And she is just as capable 
just as competent to ask the questions that she needs to understand in order to make all of the connections work. So where a guy might come in the conversation and go really deep into portfolio analysis, does that really matter to the long-term plans of the family? On one hand, yes, like it is a nut and bolt to the, to the conversation. Yeah. But if you don't understand the context of how everything flows with the family, which is usually the direction the woman will take the conversation, um, stereotypically, then you're not really making good plans for the future anyway. So there is a, a very yin and yang piece to it. So interesting. Yeah. It's so true. Because I think about like, okay, how is it going to affect? I'm always like, but what memories are we going to make? And what are they going to remember? Right. And how are we going to do that? And that's always with like a vacation or a, the lake house, like you talked about. It's all those different things. And, and it's mm -hmm. true. Uh, that is kind of what stereotypically I, I, well, I'll just, that is what I bring to the conversation. Mm -hmm. I know that. <laughs> and, you know, where are we going to have fun? Yeah. <laughs> so I think women get pigeonholed into this role of like, we're the spenders. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes that is our way of approaching money that creates events, memories, makes um, purpose. Makes like flow. Yeah, like yeah. seriously. Yeah. Can you imagine if my husband just went to the grocery store all the time? Oh my God. <laughs> It'd just be steak. It would just be Mom. meat. <laughs> no, that's so funny. But yeah, that is true. I hadn't thought to think about that's how we contribute in that way, that way too. And again, I'm speaking very generalized. I'm not yeah, obviously, insult yeah. anyone else that lives a different way than I am. So we got to mm -hmm. say that stuff these days. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, I say all of that also in my husband and I have a very role flipped type of marriage where right now with COVID, he's the one that stepped back from his job. He's the one doing the caretaking and the meal prep and the grocery shopping. Yeah, He yeah. mans the budget. I don't handle that. He does all of that. I do the investments and I'm the one with a career right now. Um, yeah. So it, it's fascinating to me to have that experience and then bring it back to women and what that means for us. Um, just having experience kind of. It's invaluable. But with a female yeah. perspective. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's got to give you a lot of like passion too, to know that you are doing that and to help these women mm -hmm. just have that extra like. Oh. <laughs> yes. And shout out to my husband for being yeah, willing to step major. down, and giving yeah. me the space yeah. to do the thing with my career. Um, that's been invaluable as well. Yeah. And going back to kind of Kala, your question originally of like women feeling kind of like de devalued by staying at home and not making money. Um, there was this guy who I went to high school with and he ended up, he was on the news because he created this like spreadsheet of like if he were to hire someone to do everything that his wife does like cook the meals um do the laundry clean the house drive the kids everywhere like it it would it was like thousands upon thousands of dollars to that that she is contributing and i think mm -hmm. it, it's easy and i i, I hesitate saying this can is you a, make a me a few copies of that spreadsheet <laughs> Posted all over the table up a few places. No, yeah, <laughs> you should I, for yourself. Yeah, for I real. think it's well, okay to quantify it. Absolutely, and I think it's easy to get into the mindset of like what we're not doing, like what we could be doing better, or what we what we're not not doing, and and, and kind of like throwing to the side what we are contributing. Um, so I think just just yeah, like having that, like okay, like if I were to hire someone to do this, like, what would it cost? Like childcare alone is crazy expensive, so you know? Expensive. Yeah. Yes. And what's the danger, if you might ask me, what's the danger of quantifying your job and posting it? Kala? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, he tells me all the time how much I do. He's the one like, yeah. knock it off. Stop taking on more jobs. But, yeah, Cal is the one that doesn't think she does enough. Yeah, Simon it's knows me. It has nothing to do enough. with him. He's just like slow, like stop, like enough's <laughs> enough. No, I'm. Yeah, I can walk into a room and create a million things to do. <laughs> it's a gift and a curse. But <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things. I think I think I get so. Um, I'm going to be real honest. I don't think I've never shared this story publicly. So when uh, my husband and I first got married. 
And um, right after I had our twins, I had severe postpartum depression, enough so that it took me out of my career and I was invested enough where I had any support. I didn't have paid maternity leave. So I went back right away and that just made the postpartum even worse. And we had just bought a new house and it was a house that we wanted and we were very prideful people. And so we actually had to foreclose on our very first home because we didn't have a hundred dollars extra. And we were too, I'm going to like get emotional because this was like a big deal. Um, And we didn't want to ask anybody for anything. So we lost our house and (laughs) it made me change how I feel about money to this very day. I hate spending money. I hate doing things with money. I'm very like, I will shop around to try to find the cheapest thing. And, and like, I don't even enjoy the spending process because I have such like hard feelings towards it. But what that taught us about money is that um, for three years, we paid cash for everything. We, we worked back we're debt-free, we have all these things, but we worked our asses off, excuse my language, to get back to that spot. And I just, I struggle with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, do you, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just feel like I needed to say that because sometimes I feel like my comments are very just null and void, but I, um, it's, it's a hard thing for me to tr- still try to understand and grasp. And I still feel like I'm really behind the curve when it comes to finances and investing and saving and doing all these things because we put ourselves in that spot, you know, that we had to dig ourselves out of. So we're still trying to come mm-hmm. back. Um, yeah. And some of that, just to, to normalize it, I mean, it sounds like you had the intentions of going back into your career. It did. Um, and so you had the plans ahead cash flow that it would have made it it would have worked however you had a health event right that oftentimes people don't acknowledge as like valid real Um, yeah postpartum depression is very real and clearly it it puts you in a place where it wasn't healthy to continue working um and so just to normalize it like this this is something that happens to people health events happen it changes cash flow and it makes them make different decisions with their mm-hmm. money. I think in a situation like yours, you will have the trauma of that money trauma from that experience that makes you feel like money is scarce, no matter totally. what financial situation you'll be in. No matter what so, to this day, I always think like it's not enough. And how much of that, like, do you, do you watch the cash inflows or do you watch cash outflows Out or neither? Well, it's usually out. I I'm just get really hesitant anytime we have to spend any any significant amount of money, even not a lot of money. Sometimes I'm like anything over thirty dollars, I just want to die. <laughs> not, <laughs> not realistic. It's so it's so silly, you know. But then no, it's so rooted in trauma. That's what it, it is. is. I'm a yeah. Mess. <laughs> no, you're not a mess. No, everybody has trauma. Everybody has trauma, whether they acknowledge it or not. So, I, what I would encourage you to do is. Um, part of the unwinding of that is to recognize the bounty that you have, the, uh, the earnings capability that you guys have, whether or not you tap into it now, you know, you've made a great decision to stay at home with your kids. You said you have three at home and you're providing that support at home. Um, but there is still bounty within your family. So sometimes it might just be watching the inflows and just like probably with your job, Leanne, um, with fitness, it sounds like you might get into, do you ever get into like the food journaling? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I have a consult with that after this. (laughs) Oh, excellent. So maybe, maybe a good takeaway for you, Kala, is not like journaling everything you spend because that's going to tip you further into that feeling of scarcity, but to journal every inflow that you have Mm -hmm. so that you can really feel it day in, day out like what it is that your family is bringing in. And that might help relieve some of the, that feeling of like, there is never enough. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah, I had never uh, thought to do that. That feeling, Kala, is it, the way that I can relate to that is, is how I refused to look at like what I was making because it changed every month. And then I, I just made sure I wasn't going into debt every month, paying off my credit cards, you know, but then it's true. Like you said about the journaling, Liz, like, 
putting it on paper, like my client had me do it, what it did free up a lot of that anxiety for me. Mm -hmm. That might be a good idea. No, I'm like an extreme budgeter <laughs> and now even like, but it's it almost probably to a point where it's not healthy clearly, but, um, but now we're in a, it's weird. We're now in like a new phase too, is like we've moved in the things that were expenses before we're not having those expenses. So it does free up more. Mm -hmm. And now it's almost just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, right. I, I just, I, I don't have to necessarily think about it as much, which is an incredible place to be. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so thankful that we have that, but it is, it's a very weird mindset. And so now it's like, now I feel like we're switching into this um, point in our life where how do we make our money work for us mm -hmm. in, in trying to figure that out. And when I feel like I maybe don't contribute as much, how do I do that? and make mm -hmm. our money work for us. And I think that's yeah. why I'm, I, I control the budget the way that I do, but there, it is rooted in trauma, <laughs> clearly as this conversation has unfolded. <laughs> well, okay, so my, my example of having juvenile rheumatoid arthritis as a kid, that developed a very specific muscle that is a great personality trait that I have and can also flip itself and become negative. Mm -hmm. that, that event in your family's history has created an excellent budgeting muscle that you have. And yeah, sometimes you're working out of that place of scarcity. And so that's not, that's not benefiting your family, but you still have that muscle that many people don't have. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's a really valuable conversation to bring to your financial planning meeting. You don't have to be talking about the beta of a portfolio to be contributing really good information in a financial planning discussion yeah. that furthers your family. When is a good time to um, kind of start talking about that with kids? Uh, financial planning, or do you um, have an opinion on that, or is that just one of those like teach? I should have an opinion on this. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and we have a foster newborn. Oh my gosh! Um, congratulations! Congratulations! Thanks. But so, like with our kids, we do a little bit with money mostly like counting and comparing sure but there will be a time where we start to do the um gosh i can't even think of the words right now a an allowance based mm -hmm. on work that they do in the home mm -hmm. um but one thing i've been toying with is when to create like a fixed expense for my children and give them like let's say i know i spend i don't know three thousand dollars on my children every year Mm -hmm. What is the age where it tips where I can start instead of uh, me just spending that money when they ask for it, turn it and make it into like a regular payment that they get and they have to manage. Right. There was a book that I read about that and I just really like the concept of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I obviously it's not yet. And I'm not sure when it will be. I think it'll depend on the development of my children. Yeah, we started doing it and it fell off um, when we moved, just as most things do, they'll come back around. But we, we put our kids through um, the financial planning junior, Dave Ramsey's thing with the oh, really? cool. and stuff. And it was a great concept. It, it's really, really great. They, it comes with a workbook and color pages and they have to plan their money and they save their money. And so it really helped bring home, you know, the, those different areas mm -hmm. of spending. Um, my youngest is six. And so he doesn't have any concept. He's just like, Oh, it's $200. Okay, cool. I can do that. <laughs> but what, what my, my trauma has instilled in me is that I've kind of projected that onto my kids of mm -hmm. like, you need to really be. And I, so I'm always just very curious of, is there a proper way to handle that? Cause I don't want to scare them into not spending any money or being afraid to like do nice things for themselves and have these wants and dreams for themselves that you know need to be funded um mm -hmm. and I just didn't know if you had any insight into that or anything um well one thing I've heard this was from a client of mine and I just really liked it um where there was an influx of money and they were no longer going to be as tight as it was in the past mm -hmm. And she said that she wants to stop using the phrase, we can't afford that, mm -hmm. which would have been, you know, part of their language before, um, and instead rephrase it to be, we're choosing not to spend money on that. Um, 
because it's more values oriented on why we're making money decisions rather than a place of like, you know, it's easier to be like, sorry, kids can't afford that rather yeah. than saying, actually, I really hate that item and I would never buy that for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Conversation. For your own good. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, I like that. We're choosing not to spend our money on that right now. Mm-hmm. I like that. Cause it really is. That is the root of it, right? It's, it, it is a choice always, mm-hmm. no matter if you can afford it or not. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Lots to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, me having no kids, my brain's freed up to like worry about all sorts of other things. Well, you're planning a wedding right now. Like you've got yeah. all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is a whole nother financial discussion I've been learning about. But um I've been hearing a lot just with everything that's going on that like up to like 40% of the circulating dollars right now have been created in the last year or the past year, just with the COVID relief. And that's just what I've heard. Um, Does that worry you at all? So I was just listening to an economist talk yesterday and he was saying how the, the stimulus money it's supposed to, they expect it to be spent several times over. So you give it to the initial family, they spend it once, maybe at a restaurant. I mean, that's a lot of spending yeah. at a restaurant. Let's say it's over. It always goes to food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that waiter, waitress, um, hostess takes that money, spends it, and it just keeps going. So that's, that's the whole purpose. But at the end of the day, that stimulus money that was given it has to be recouped in one of two ways, which is either debt that the economy that the U.S. takes on, or taxes that we take on, because you have to pay it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that part is concerning. I think there hasn't been enough focus on the U.S. debt, and um, people are so resistant to taxes. But how else are we going to pay for outstanding debt? I don't know. Yeah. And there's always a lot of different levers that. Um, those in charge can move, but it still comes down to those two things. Mm-hmm. How long are we going to sustain debt or do we raise taxes to, to pay it? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Why are people so afraid of taxes? <laughs> because it's their money. Yeah. yeah, but not really. They. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I, I know that um, in different periods of time, there were taxes – consumed a lot more of the paycheck. So 70%, 80%. And if you can imagine paying for everything else after taxes, like it just really pinches you. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the same token, in those time periods, probably the government was paying for more of things that we've taken on individually as well. So to me, I'm like, this kind of balances out over time. Um, And I'm not as uncomfortable paying taxes, but I obviously don't want to be overtaxed. And there's really good things that happen with privatization of, of different services that we have. So yeah, just the balance of it all. I want to respect what you can and can't answer, but like, does that affect how you do invest your money or like in terms of like inflation and stuff like that? Not really. Um, Well, I guess yes, but it doesn't make me make any changes. So I know that, if I keep my money invested long term, it grows over time because my money is invested, just as anybody who invests in the stock market, in companies, companies that are producing goods that people are buying or companies that are creating services that people are buying. And until until I think that companies are no longer viable, that services are no longer viable, I know that my money is going to grow sitting in the stock market versus not investing. So the moment I step out of the stock market, assuming my money is for a long-term reason, like retirement, uh, the more I'm disrupting what could be. So even if I'm worried about short-term, what happens with taxes in the next five years, let's say, or during the Biden administration, since that's really, that's what a lot of my clients are asking is like, yeah. okay, new administration, what's happening with taxes? Sure. This, how is this going to impact my portfolio? And I'm not an economist. I don't claim to be. Um, but for me, with the perspective of like 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, um, it hasn't changed the way that I invest. 
Mm -hmm. And I think making short-term moves based on what could be usually gets people in trouble. So even with your clients that are of retirement age or don't have as much time, I guess, to, to be in the market. Yeah. So it doesn't like, it changes the, the strategy of how I invest their dollars from the, this is going to get kind of technical. You've heard of an IRA and a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So a lot of my clients have a lot more IRA money, which is money that has never been taxed. So if it's someone that thinks that money is, that taxes are going to grow over time and they have a lower income, there is a strategy that you can do that starts taking on the taxes now so that they're not having to pay it later. But that's not, that's not an investment strategy. That's like financial planning strategy. So it does change a couple of things, but not from the way that you might anticipate it as far as investing in stocks or bonds. Right. Right. Okay. Hmm. And does that, like, I hear a lot of talk about like, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble, it's going to pop, like, get ready. Does any of that talk worry you at all? Um, again, I'm not an economist. So I'm not making any guarantees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't want disclaimer. We have your disclaimer. We're going to air it before this. So <laughs> Basically, the disclaimer is like, don't listen to me. Because yeah. who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But um, still listen to this episode. But still listen. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating thing is like the speed of information travels so fast. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. one thing I've heard economists say lately is that um, the recession of the past, the recessions of the past were a lot slower to unfold, Mm -hmm. either because information was not moving very fast or there was just some financial structure that was off. So 2008, 2009. That's when all our stuff happened. (laughs) Well, okay. That's not all on you, Kella, because banks, should be looking at the debt to income ratio so that people don't get in that position. And they weren't, they were over. I think we were just so naive. Many. I think we, we didn't know yeah. and we just did what we thought and we couldn't make this. So that was mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. And banks did know what ratios there should be, but instead of sticking to the um, generally accepted ratios, they stretched it so that people were taking on more debt than they really should. Mm-hmm. And they're making a lot of money off of it. So that needed to be right size. That took a long time to unfold. But moving forward, assuming there's no big structure that needs to change, because information travels so fast and big, big companies, big investment firms can trade money like that, mm-hmm. a lot of money in a very small amount of time, The what I heard is that um, the recessions are gonna be a lot shorter. So what happened in March and April, which ended up being a very short amount of time, four or five weeks of the market dropping, actually it, it, it reached the recession levels and then it bounced back because there was room for growth. And though we don't feel like that lasted long enough, it right-sized what needed to be right-sized. Um, so right now in this session I was in yesterday, they said we are out of the recessionary period and we're into the next part of the growth cycle and our cycles go up and down and up and down pretty consistently and they measure that. So um, I think there is a level of fear everybody thinks about with this bubble, talking of a bubble, um, but people have been scared about market growth since 2008, 2009. And there was a lot of market growth since that time period, but people still weren't investing. So I think it's just a general sense of fear. That makes sense to me. I like that explanation more so than I know than the gloom and doom Ooh. of. <laughs> yeah, well, what sells? Yeah, let's go. Let's go back to what sells. What's what's making money for people? Marketing, getting people's attention. And so, why would a news channel want to say, "Actually, we're doing just fine. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Have a good night." No, it's the doom and gloom that sells. So, um, I'm hesitant to listen to all of that. Yeah. I like to get balanced opinions. I think that's why what you're doing is so important. I do. I I think that there is such value to sit and and have these conversations about it in just a really organic way. Um, I can't appreciate you enough for coming and hanging out with us today. It was fantastic. Really, really good. (laughs) I've enjoyed my time with you guys. Good, good. Is there anything that you're working on that you want to make people aware of or where they can find you? Anything, the floor is yours. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, the what I am most excited about right now are two things. They're both entitled the same thing, Pleasant Financial Conversations. One is my YouTube channel that you guys referenced earlier. Um, 
and that's where I, I produce about a video a week, give or take, and um, just giving nuggets of information, just little pieces. Uh, it's mostly retirement oriented because that's the type of client that I work with, but it's also woman oriented. So um, for those who are might be younger, it's still good, valuable information as they're looking towards the future. Um, and the other area that you also referenced uh, is my finance, uh, Facebook's, um, it's my Facebook online community, Pleasant Financial Conversations. And in that group, I'm getting ready in March, still have to finalize it, but um, getting a daily gratitude um, in regards to money. So to try to elevate people's thinking around money so that we're not in this feelings of scarcity, but we can start just relieving some of the pressure that we have around money by being a little more present to what money is doing in our life in very practical and tangible ways. And women are welcome to go there and ask whatever financial question they have. Um, I usually answer from a very generic place. And then if there's further conversation that's needed, then I, you know, private message them so that their personal information isn't all hanging out there. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good community of women. Well, you'll see me in the comments. I'm super excited. I, like, I really truthfully feel like I was supposed to talk to you today. So I can't thank you enough. Um, yes. Yeah. We'll put all this one more thing. Up. Go ahead, Leanne. Uh, sorry. Do you have any like podcasts or books that you like to like get your financial information from or, mm -hmm. or just stay to stay informed or recommend to clients or anything like that? So the, the author that I referenced earlier, George Kinder, I've really appreciated so much of what he's put out for that person that wants to be a little bit more mindful with money. Um, some of his books he wrote back in the 90s, so they might feel a little bit outdated, but as with most mindfulness practices, um, it's still very relevant. So mm -hmm. there is Financial Planning for You, which if you're a DIY type of person, it walks you through the whole process um, that he does. And I do an abbreviated version of that when I, when I work with folks. Um, so that's a really good one. Um, see podcasts I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head no that's all good yeah. I just didn't know if you had like one that you were like oh yeah you gotta listen to this she's yeah. a big podcast girl I, uh, <laughs> I gotcha a lot of commuting so I'm just like inhaling podcasts at <laughs> yeah so I the podcasts that I listen to are pretty technical in nature not as much okay uh for the client facing type of yeah that, but I'll think about it and I'll send you one if I yeah, okay. that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. We enjoyed yeah, every you, minute Liz. of this. We appreciate yes. you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HGC community. Find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo and click around on our links to find ways that you can get involved. And don't forget, you can join us every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Central for coffee and conversation on Instagram Live. Talk, Talk soon. soon.